Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May God help us to understand his word. Thanks, Agnes, for reading God's word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we look into your word, that your spirit would be working through your word. And I pray that you would help me to be clear as I preach, and we pray that you would help us to apply what you have in store for us in your word. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. We would never want to be slaves, would we? Well, have you ever tried to stick to a strict diet? I believe many of us have at some point. One time, my parents tried to keep to this keto diet, which is a low-carb, high-protein diet. And for Asians who love their rice, it was really hard for them. They tried their best to keep to the law of keto. However, in doing so, it really felt like they became slaves. The keto diet told them what they had to eat and when they should eat it. They didn't have much freedom to choose what they wanted. On top of that, it was exhausting, always trying to check what foods were okay to eat. Like a slave, they had to obey these strict requirements. Now, I'm not saying that dieting is bad or we shouldn't watch what we eat. But what I am trying to illustrate is that when we follow a set of strict rules and we try to live by them and they dictate our lives, we actually become slaves to those rules. This is what legalism is like, which is what today's passage is about. Now, we've been making our way through the book of Galatians, and I know Galatians has been hard for some of us to understand, so let me just try and summarize what we've been covering so far. The problem in Galatia 
is that there are Judaizers who are insisting that Gentiles must first be circumcised before they can convert to Christianity. They taught that Christians should continue to religiously follow the law. And so Paul is using different strategies to try and attack these false teachings of the Judaizers. First, Paul had to prove his credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And as apostle, he himself and his teaching has authority. Therefore, the gospel message that he first taught to the Galatians is sufficient for salvation. Next, Paul explained how it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that anyone is saved. And Paul goes on to show the inadequacy of the law to save. And just last week in Ollie's sermon, we saw that Paul uses his personal relationship with the Galatians to appeal to them to listen. What Paul is saying in all of this is that we cannot be right before God by following the law. Legalistically living by the law cannot save us because we cannot follow the law perfectly. We can only be saved by the gospel received through faith. In today's passage, Paul is going to use the Old Testament story of Hagar and Sarah to teach us that legalism leads to slavery, but the gospel leads to freedom. And that's the main point of today's message. Let me say it again. Legalism leads to slavery, but the gospel leads to freedom. Today's passage has two sections. The first section is living as children of slavery from verses 21 to 25. And the second section, living as children of promise, from verses 26 to 31. Living as children of slavery, and living as children of promise. Our first point is living as children of slavery. In this section, we'll be thinking about how living legalistically is choosing to live as a child of a a slave. Let me first define legalism. Legalism is doing good works or obeying the law to earn something from God. Legalism is doing good works or obeying the law to earn something from God. Now, some of these things we seek to earn from God could include his approval, righteous standing, blessings, salvation, It can include anything that we think that we can earn from God. And in this section in Galatians 4, Paul is attacking the Judaizers by using their own teachings against them. The Judaizers, they prided themselves on being under the law. So Paul begins a section by stating that if they wish to listen to the law, since the history of Abraham is included in this law, they need to pay attention to what is written about Abraham. So let me read from Galatians 4, starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of a slave woman and one of a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Paul reminded them of what happened with Abraham in Genesis, which I will quickly recap now. In Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham and promises to give him a son of his own flesh and body. 
Abraham responds by believing the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. However, in the very next chapter, in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah, they decide that they can help God out. They can help fulfill God's promise by taking Sarai, save Hagar, to be Abraham's wife. So Abraham and Hagar, they conceive, and through human efforts, Ishmael is born, the son of a slave woman. Now, the story of Abraham's offspring, it doesn't end there. Sarah is barren, and it's not possible for her to bear a child, yet God gives Abraham a promise in Genesis 17. God says to Abraham, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So God's promise is fulfilled through Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac is the promised son of Sarah and the son of a free woman. So although both Ishmael and Isaac are sons of Abraham, Ishmael is a slave born according to the flesh, that is, through human efforts. While Isaac is born from God's grace and faithfulness to his promise, and not by anything that Abraham has done. Now, remember how I defined legalism? Legalism is doing good works or obeying the law to earn something from God. So legalism isn't limited to just working for our salvation. It could also be working for God's promises as well. Therefore, Abraham, he fell into legalism as well with his desire to help God fulfill his promise. And when we work to fulfill God's promises, we forget that it is God who graciously gives us these promises, and we soon begin to feel entitled to what God has given to us. We start to believe that we have earned some of God's promises because of the good things that we've done. And seeking to earn God's promises, even some of it, through good works, this is legalism when we seek to earn God's promises through good works. So Abraham and Sarah, they fell into the trap of legalism. They sought to work for God's promise through their human efforts. And even though Abraham believed in God, he still felt the need to do something. He impatiently acted in the hopes of trying to help God fulfill his promise of a son. Now let's just spend some time thinking about how that applies to us. I'm sure there are times when we can relate to Abraham and Sarah. How often have we been just like them? We also desire to help God out with our lives. Now when I say helping God out, what I mean is going beyond what God has told us to do because we struggle to trust him. God speaks to us, but we often feel impatient about what God has said, and we think that perhaps we can help him out. For example, a common struggle for us, myself included, is that we are anxious about our livelihood. Living in Singapore has a high standard of living, doesn't it? God promises to provide for us, but perhaps we think he only provides if we are wise or prudent with our money, or if we have a stable career. Anxiety about our livelihood could drive us to invest in stocks, take on extra work hours, 
or even study part-time to further our career. God helps those who help themselves, or do your best and let God do the rest. We hear these sayings, and they sound good, but I implore you to consider if these are actually biblical. It's good and prudent to be hardworking, but we need to check our hearts. Are we trusting in God when we act? Or are we impatiently seeking to help him out with our own efforts? Do we make practical choices trusting God with the outcomes? God's word tells us not to be anxious about these things, but to instead seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's so easy to forget that God is the one who provides for us. He doesn't need help from us. So in what ways are we relying on ourselves rather than trusting in God? Are there areas that we are particularly worried or anxious about? Perhaps it's because we think we need to help God out, but in what ways can we be patiently waiting on God and trusting Him to be faithful to His Word? As someone in full-time ministry, I'm not immune to this legalism either. In youth ministry, I sometimes think that I can help God out with my human efforts. I feel that with my good works, I can help win more youths. The temptation for me is to think that perhaps if I organize better gatherings, more interesting gatherings, or prepare more engaging messages, or if I meet more youth and recruit more youth leaders, that God will bless me. And while these things might be good, they do not ultimately change hearts. And when God does grow, fruit in our ministry, it's easy to take credit for what God has done. There is a real temptation to boast and take pride in a ministry that is flourishing. God's word tells us that he alone is the one that produces fruit. And God's spirit is the one who grows fruit in people. We are called to serve God faithfully and preach God's words correctly, praying and trusting in God. So please pray for our pastors, elders, ministry workers, and leaders here at GBC. Pray that we would guard our hearts against impatience and pray that we would be faithful, trusting God to work. We saw Abraham and Sarah, they fell into legalism and they sought to work for God's promises through their human effort. The outcome was not the fulfillment of God's promise, but rather they produced a child of a slave. Paul uses this story to further his point that legalism produces children of slavery. Verses 24 and 25 say this. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These children are two covenants. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. The two women, Hagar and Sarah, represent two covenants. One is the covenant with Abraham, and the other the covenant with Israel 
at Mount Sinai. Now, a covenant is just another word for an agreement between two parties. It's a bit like a contract. Two parties will make promises to each other, and they have certain obligations and commitments. Marriage, for example, is a covenant, and so we rejoice with Fred and Rachel as they partake in a covenant towards, to, to each other, and that happened yesterday. And both the covenant with Abraham and the covenant at Mount Sinai are given by God in order, in order to establish personal relationships with him. The covenant made at Sinai was where God had given the law to the Israelites. In establishing this covenant, the Israelites would be God's special people. However, in return, the Israelites, they had to be obedient. God will bless them if they're obedient to his covenant, but he would also curse them if they are disobedient to their covenant. So obedience brings blessings, disobedience brings curses. The terms of the covenant at Sinai, they're based on human efforts, the human effort of being obedient. And in a similar way, verses 24 and 25, Paul relates Sinai, the Sinai covenant to Hagar because the birth of Ishmael was also based on human efforts. Just as the slave woman bears children of slavery, living according to the law at Mount Sinai also produces slaves. So how exactly does legalism lead to slavery then? Well, to live legalistically by the law, we need to adhere to all the things that the law says. The law tells us to do something, and we need to be absolutely obedient, or else we'll be cursed. This is why Paul stated in Galatians 3.10, Cursed is everyone who is not able to abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. As we have already seen in the previous chapters of Galatians, the law in itself cannot bring salvation. It cannot bring redemption because it cannot be in it cannot be obeyed in its entirety. Because everyone is disobedient to the law, everyone is cursed. Imagine a master and a slave. The master gives instructions or commands to a slave, and if the slave doesn't adhere, there will be consequences and punishment. In the same way, the law gives us commands and instructions which we need to follow. Otherwise, we will be punished. The law governs our actions just like a master governs a slave's actions. And when we use the law as standards to live up to, especially for our salvation, we become slaves. We are chained to the commands that the law gives. So let's think about where human effort leads us. Here at Grace Baptist Church, we definitely emphasize that we believe in grace alone for salvation, right? It's in our name, Grace Baptist Church. But perhaps subconsciously, we still live legalistic lives. What do I mean by this? Well, we live lives having certain standards of what we believe is good and bad. And we all want to be good. I want to be good. We often put on extra standards on what we think we should be like to achieve this goodness. And soon we start to feel good about ourselves when we, when we live up to these standards. 
And similarly, when we don't meet up to these standards, we start to feel guilty. For example, for me, in my current life stage, I hold myself to certain standards of what I believe a good husband and a good father should be like. A family man. In my mind, a family man is always considerate and always puts his family first as a priority. Therefore, I feel good about myself when I'm living up to these standards. However, just the other day, I failed in doing this. I was planning to meet with a youth, assuming that my wife was able to care for my two young children all by herself without any help. And when I realized I was being absolutely inconsiderate, I was hard on myself and begin to feel guilty. And the reason I feel guilty is because I legalistically think that I'm doing well when I'm a family man. When I don't live up to my own standards, I feel disappointed in myself. I know I can't be perfect, but even the idea of being good is a rule that I put myself under that draws me into legalism and brings me under slavery. The standards that I place on myself tell me that I need to act a certain way. My legalistic heart then punishes me and condemns me when I don't live up to these standards. This is legalism, and it leads to slavery. And this can apply to almost every area of life. For example, maybe our efforts to be a good worker in the efforts to be a good worker, we want to work extra hours because we think that's what's going to get approval from our boss or from others around us. Maybe we feel like we need to financially provide for our family because of a successful career. And that's, the successful career is proof that we're doing a good job. The same goes for the students. If we're trying to be good students, Maybe we hold ourselves to scoring a certain mark at all costs. And to achieve it, maybe we neglect other aspects of our lives. We live by these self-imposed standards because we think that's what's going to make us a good student. Perhaps sometimes we even wonder if we've been good Christians. Will God be happy with me right now in my current state? Or maybe we even look at others and think that God can't be happy with this person because of the way that they act. The problem is that when we fall into sin, not if, but when, we start to feel horrible about ourselves because we're not living up to the standards that we think is required to be good. When we think these standards make us good, we subconsciously live legalistic lives and we are enslaved by our standards. Brothers and sisters, I hope you can see that when we are good by our own standards or ideals, we are living legalistic lives. It's just a different law that we place on ourselves. The legalism that we live by leads to slavery because of our standards. Maybe we think, I always have to put my family first, otherwise I can't be a good husband or father. 
I cannot work less hours, otherwise I won't be a good worker. I cannot fail this subject, otherwise I won't be a good student. I cannot struggle with sin, because then I won't be a good Christian. Lord, help us to repent of these ways of thinking. And this doesn't just apply to Christians. For those of us here who, who don't believe in Jesus or haven't decided to follow him, I urge you to consider that you are also like this. You have certain standards of what you believe is right and wrong. And our feelings of being good or bad about ourselves because of our standards show that we tie our identity to our actions. So let's ask ourselves these questions. What makes us feel good or horrible about ourselves? What ways do we want to be known as good? Whatever answers you come up with, I'm sure that there are certain standards that you hold yourself to. So both Hagar and the law given at Mount Sinai can produce nothing but slaves. Legalism too can produce nothing but slaves. Now hopefully we can see that we all struggle with this legalism and therefore we are all under slavery. And that's pretty horrible news. But remember, Paul said that there are two covenants. There is a covenant that produces children of promise. Which brings us to our second point, living as children of promise. Our second point, living as children as promise. Now when we look at the covenant with Abraham, this covenant produces children of promise. And so we'll look at what it means to live as children of promise. So if you remember the other covenant with Abraham, the terms and commitments of the covenant are actually vastly different from that of Sinai. When God first cuts the covenant with Abraham, what is Abraham doing when this happens? He's actually sleeping throughout the entire ceremony. Therefore, when God establishes this covenant, God is the only one who needs to adhere to these commitments. The covenant with Abraham does not depend on human effort, but is based solely on God's promise and faithfulness. Abraham did not need to do anything. The covenant at Sinai requires human effort, but the covenant based on God's promise is where God does everything. He is faithful to keep his promise. And what is this promise exactly? Well, the promise is that God will make him into a great nation whose offspring will number the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And as we've already seen, God's promise is fulfilled in the singular offspring, Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfills God's promise to Abraham and produces the promise because all who believe in him are counted as God's children. Now, a few weeks ago, Eugene preached that those who believe in Jesus are united with him. He describes union with Christ like wearing a piece of clothing. So you wear Jesus and are clothed with him so that when God sees you, he sees you as a child. He sees his son. He sees you as he would see Jesus. The children are promised 
are everyone who's been adopted by Christ, who have been united with him. And we can do this through faith in the gospel. Our sonship is not based on anything that we have done, but received through faith in the gospel. So Jesus, he lived the perfect life. The fulfillment and the expectations of the law, he did it. Union with him means that his perfect life is now our perfect life. We no longer need to follow the law and be good enough because Christ is good enough. We no longer need to follow the law for our salvation, and we are no longer slaves. The gospel sets us free. The gospel gives us freedom from having to live up to the law or to any of the standards that we put on ourselves. We no longer need to work to be good. By believing in Christ's death on the cross, he takes our sins away so that we can be considered perfect. The perfect life that Christ lived now becomes ours. Before the gospel, we were slaves, trying to live lives good enough according to the law. But now the gospel has come and we are considered good before the Lord. We are free to live in our new home with him and that's in heaven. This is the new Jerusalem. And this is why Paul goes on to quote Isaiah 51, or 54, verse 1. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This passage in Isaiah 54 is a prophecy of God restoring Israel after exile in captivity. In this passage, it is clear that God is the one who graciously gives promises to Israel. He's the one who restores those in hopeless situations. And Paul quotes this prophecy because he sees the complete fulfillment of this gathering of all believers, of all believers in the church, all believers united with Christ who belong with him in heaven, the Jerusalem above. God, by his grace alone, gives hope to us who had no hope. He adopts children of all nations, Jews, Gentiles, you and me. God promises abundantly more fruit by those saved by the gospel than by any fruit that was produced by the law. God causes the barren one to be fruitful, and God is the one who does everything. The gospel is of no effort of our own. So then, how do we live as children of promise? Well, Paul tells the Galatians and us that we need to remember who we are and rely on the gospel alone. Let me read verse 28. Now, brothers, now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scriptures say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. 
Paul urged the Galatians to rely on God's grace alone for salvation. Paul needed to remind them that they are children of the free woman because it's so easy to forget our identity. It's so easy to go back to living as children of slaves and living according to the law. And just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, in Galatia, the Judaizers were persecuting the Galatians, pushing them back to legalism. So as Hagar and Ishmael were cast out, Paul similarly asked the Galatians to cast out the Judaizers. And he makes it clear that these Judaizers and their false teaching will not be part of the promise. Now for us, we don't necessarily have a specific group of people teaching us to be legalistic, but there is always a temptation to go back to legalism, isn't there? We too need to remember our identity in Christ. Now legalism, it's very tempting, isn't it? It's tempting because even though it's very hard work, it's hard work being a slave, we naturally want to take things into our own hands. It's a way that we can measure how well we're doing, isn't it? If we do well, we can take pride. And if we're not doing well, then, well, we feel guilty. But sometimes we feel good about being guilty, don't we? I don't know. Makes us feel more pious, perhaps. When we feel superior to others, because they don't even match up to, up to these standards as well, sometimes we feel like that too. But we, when we do this, we take glory from God, and it brings us into slavery. And because such a strong pull for us to be legalists, we need to guard ourselves against it. And the only way that we could do this is by remembering the gospel. We need to remember it and rely on it alone for our standing, for our salvation, for who we are in Christ. Because we all by nature are sinners. We all seek to be good by our own works. Yet we fail, we fail to obey the law completely. In choosing life our own way, we have sinned against God. We would rather do things our way than God's way. We have made a mess of things and we have transgressed against him, our maker. And the punishment for all of this is death and punishment. But there is good news. Jesus Christ, he substituted himself for us. Jesus has taken away the punishment that we deserve. And he did that by dying on the cross in our place. We deserve to be strung up on that tree, humiliated. But Christ did it for us. He took our punishment. Jesus was the only one who perfectly obeyed the law. And he died on the cross, he took our place, and his perfect sinless life is now considered ours if we repent and believe and trust in him. For those of you here who have not decided to follow Jesus, I urge you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Without putting your faith in Jesus, you will be held accountable for the entirety of the law. And if you cannot live up to these laws, 
you will be punished. So rather than be a slave to these laws, why not take up Christ's offer of freedom? Now for those of us here who have trusted in Jesus, remembering the gospel looks like guarding our hearts against legalism. It means regularly checking what's going on in our hearts and what motivates us. Perhaps we need to spend some time reflecting on our lives a bit, reflecting on what motivates us, what drives us, what is in our hearts. Of course, our usual spiritual disciplines like prayer, Bible reading, gathering at church, singing praise and worship songs, these are good ways of helping us remind ourselves of the gospel. They're good ways of helping to cultivate our love for the gospel, but these should not be seen as a list of rules to be ticked off. Otherwise, we're just living up to our own standards again. We must remember that these things in themselves do not save us. They do not bring salvation. The gospel, it is so important to our lives, so let us continue to remember it. Let's continue to rely on it alone for our salvation. We came out of slavery and we are now free in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us out of slavery and into freedom. Lord, we thank you that we are considered your children because of what Christ has done for us. We pray that you would help us to remember you, remember who we are in Christ, remember the gospel and help us to rely on it each and every day for our salvation. I pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.